Christopher Parker Howard. Chris, he's officially diagnosed bipolar one. Uh, he has, you know, a, a lot of trauma dealing with his bipolar. He repeatedly tried to commit suicide. He's been institutionalized, been on and off medication. He has a podcast called Coffee Over Suicide, where he contemplates suicide quite often, but he beats it one cup of coffee at a time. Just absolutely inspiring and vulnerable. He talks about the manias, the highs and lows of bipolar, the difference between bipolar one and two is a big difference. Just a great conversation with Chris. He's a musician. He was a stand-up comedian. He just released an album. Great podcast. Uh, really, really great conversation with Chris. I know you're going to enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Recording. It's such, so nice to meet you, man. I've got so many questions, man. I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, yeah. let, let's start here. Um, how pervasive is mental illness in our society? Oh man, a, a lot more than people think. Mm. Um, uh, I think that uh, the the numbers are the numbers are on the rise. Uh, it's it, it's it's really difficult to get a handle on it because we're still at a place where people aren't very comfortable talking about it, mm. and so. Uh, the numbers that we have are really only as good as the people willing to share their experiences. And in many cases, people are not even aware that they've got something. So it's not necessarily being duplicitous or hiding something. It's just being completely uh, unaware or uneducated about uh, the various aspects of mental health and, and how they affect people on a daily basis. Fascinating. So are we as a society doing a better job of making open forums and letting people discuss it more so we're able to, dis to discover it? Or is it just naturally increasing or perhaps it's both? You know, there's, there's always a tipping point mm. um, when change comes, uh, especially as a society. We are a very big ship humanity mm. and it turns by degrees. And so trying to get something as large as 
mental health issues to become something that we're talking about on a regular basis and and uh, we're comfortable with. There's there's a lot of things involved in that, and and so I think that it's it, it just sort of as a student of my own history and what I've seen, uh, I can say that I have seen a lot of change. Things are a lot better than they were. Of course they are. Is there room for improvement? Absolutely. Uh, because some of the very things that are designed to help us hmm. are hurting us. Give me an example of that, please. Absolutely. I mean, you take something like the internet. Uh, the internet is probably one of the greatest technological advancements that humanity has ever produced. And it's also causing a lot of really, really rough mental stuff mm -hmm. on young people and old people alike. Uh, just about everybody has had a negative experience online. Never read your comments. Right. <laughs> but that's an example. That's, that's a really, that's probably the best example that I have. Um, and in a lot of ways, younger people actually navigate the internet a lot better because they were born into it. But with it also comes some pretty, some pretty quick, immediate consequences, whereas things maybe uh, weren't quite so pervasive before the internet. Now things sort of live almost forever. They happen in real time. Uh, everything is faster and everything feels more permanent. And so it's, it's an escalation and I, I think that we'll get through it and we'll find that balance, but the internet, uh, historically speaking is still in its infancy mm. and we're still not even sure what to do with it. It's true. The anxiety that it creates from just FOMO, yeah. right? Just from the fear of missing out. Just, I know like my daughters are, you know, 18 and 21 and they're not mm -hmm. fully invested, but I can definitely sense, you know, you know, I don't, I don't want to miss this. There might be something that's happening today. I won't be there tomorrow. And, uh, yeah. you know, the stress that it can, but at the same time, I get to see my relatives in Italy that I, you know, on Facebook that I normally wouldn't, I get this, you know, yes. and so th you got to kind of weigh them both. It's, it's very, very tough. So your podcast, Chris, I mean, it's, 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 uh, incredible, man. I mean, you're, you're the way that you put yourself out there and, and your thesis, your mission is, you know, if I better myself, hopefully others will be better as well. And yeah. man, the way you do it, I just, I just got chills right now. I mean, you just, you're just completely out there. I mean, yeah. let's talk about it. It's coffee yeah. over suicide. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh you know the 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 thing that really got me to it was I used to think if I was stranded on a desert island right. with no medicine, no therapist, would my own brain be the thing that kills me? Hmm. And especially after I became a father, that became a lot more unacceptable mm -hmm. to me. And so I I had been diagnosed as bipolar 1. Uh, at around 13. And until I was around 20, I was in and out of hospitals, uh, both inpatient and outpatient for suicide attempts and on various cocktails of medicines and things like that. And it eventually occurred to me the second time I was in a hospital uh, inpatient 
it, it was around Christmas, as a matter of fact. And I remember that because <laughs> my roommate was this guy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say his name. Uh, we'll just, we'll just call him Bob. <laughs> and he had a family of uh, very, very supportive, uh, but not understanding, uh, I guess what you'd call sort of uh, uh, kind of rednecky. I see. Uh, without trying to be uh, offensive, no offense to that, but they sure. were very, you know, they were they were very supportive, uh, but they were also very excitable, and they were running around like something out of a cartoon hmm. on Christmas. They had smuggled in beers. And they were chasing each other with the Christmas tree from our common room as if it were a jousting pole. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so if anybody ever tells you there's nothing funny about a mental hospital, <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> uh, but it was it was kind of in that stay that I came to realize uh, I was sort of waiting for the pills and the doctors uh, and the therapy to suddenly solve the Rubik's cube inside of me. Hmm. I was waiting for it all to fix me. And I kind of came to the conclusion, oh, I'm here to fix me. Hmm. I'm supposed to be doing something too. Like these things are all here for me, but they're not going to do it for me. They're to help me do it for me. And that was really the foundation wow. of everything. So I stopped taking medicine for uh, probably about 17 years uh, under the care of, a, 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 of my psychiatrist and my doctor. I decided, uh, I think I'd like to see if I can manage this unmedicated. And uh, my psychiatrist said, that's not a good idea, hmm. but let's monitor. And my psychologist said the exact same thing, uh, because bipolar is pretty tricky mm. when it comes to mental health issues. There's a lot of stuff that goes along with it. And I always give people the caveat. I think that there are a lot of things that you can do as far as understanding yourself and understanding uh, it, it, your various cycles. Those are very important to get in touch with. Uh, because it can only help you. But that said, don't dismiss the idea of medication out of hand. Hmm. Uh, because Especially with bipolar. With bipolar, it can be pretty dangerous for certain people. Uh, you know, if your brain's not making the right chemicals, store-bought is just fine. Hmm. But it is really, really good to get in touch with your cycles and who you are as a human being and how you're wired just naturally. How are you wired? Because there are going to be times when uh, you're going to have symptoms and flare ups and depressions and, and, and mania phases uh, even if you're on medicine and it can only benefit you to understand yourself and to understand what it feels like to go into one of those modes so that you can kind of learn to discipline your behaviors when it happens. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to the, you, one of the podcasts you described 
you know, you described your roommate there at the facility. And yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the only image I can conjure up is one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. Uh, you know, that kind of, they're all in a community area and they're all varying degrees of, 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 uh, of issues. And, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, of course, Jack Nicholson's just faking it, right. Cause he wants to, he's done crime and he's just, you know, and so there's that, is that, is that similar to how is the state of those facilities in our country right now? Well, right now, uh, unfortunately still kind of underfunded and, mm. uh, not, not quite as good as they could be, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say that they've improved since, since my last John, um, I've talked to people who have been in and out. I mean, naturally, uh, my, my podcast topic, uh, gets me in some circles with some people. Uh, and so I, I definitely hear some modern stories and I get, I, I get, uh, emails and messages from people. Um, so uh, I do hear some things and I do look into some things with that regard right now, of course, things are, are getting better. And especially with, again, that, uh, lovely advent of the internet, mm. uh, people are able to share their stories a lot more readily. And that actually causes people to step up and pay attention to their behavior as far as, um, uh, the medical staff mistreating people. They're a little more careful about that. Of mm. course, there's a lot less, uh, people, uh, that might be a, you know, a nurse, a nurse ratchet <laughs> that are drawn to this kind of work these days, uh, thankfully, but yeah, it is still kind of a problem. Those facilities are, they're pretty rough. And one of the things that is kind of a difficult part of the conversation as well, is that as much as I'm an advocate for mental health issues and people with mental health issues. I think part of that conversation has to be, uh, if we're going to, if we're going to normalize this and we're going to have an honest conversation about it, we have to also recognize that sometimes, uh, you're a problem. The other side of that is that that's okay. There are ways to manage that and there are ways to deal with that and we can all learn to deal with each other. Hmm. But sometimes if you're having an episode, you can be an issue for other people. And especially in a hospital where there are uh, uh, people who are in a manic phase, for example, and they get violent, uh, which doesn't always happen, but it can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that people have to be on the lookout for and to deal with. And if you deal with that on a pretty regular basis over time, it's it, you're going to build up some calluses and it's it's going to maybe make you a little bit uh a little bit cavalier about not seeing people so much as uh people but more like their symptoms mm -hmm. and so there's there's a real challenge there because those people get overworked and the more overworked they get uh the harder it's going to be for them to do their job effectively hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about the facilities themselves. That, of course, they ha they need to be, uh, you know, staffed. Are those privately funded? Uh, who who funds those? Like uh, for pharmaceuticals? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a it's a combination of things. I mean, the uh, there's there's state funding. Mm. Um, there's also private funding. It's I mean, it's just like any other medical facility. Of course, it's uh, there's a lot of pharmaceutical influence, mm. um, which you know, there's again, there's there's good and bad there. Uh, right. but some pretty, some pretty gnarly stuff as mm. far as pharmaceutical companies are concerned. 
uh, again, the idea of the idea of uh, pushing a product uh, versus curing a problem. Mm. There's a balance there uh, because while the medicines are effective in many cases, in some cases they carry some side effects that are uh, pretty pretty difficult mm. and some especially addictive uh, side effects. Those are those are really, really problematic, especially when you get on something that your body really has to really has to work hard to get rid of. Uh, it's it's pretty tough. They're they're all getting a, a little better, uh, but it's it, it's a it's a difficult situation for sure. Yeah, that's you know, there's a could be a direct conflict of interest there. I mean, that's yes, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, that's you know, yeah. it's like the the banking and then the the banking auditor, the same part of the bank. You know, it's just um, you mentioned that you were diagnosed with bipolar one. I yeah. I didn't know there was a one attached. So how high does it go, and what are, what are the what what. How does that work? That's a great question. Uh, so uh, there's there's bipolar one, and there's bipolar two. And bipolar one is what uh, what we lovingly call the fun one, because bipolar one is the roller coaster. You're going to have uh, cycles of extreme high, extreme happiness. You're going to feel like you're God for a day, hmm. maybe a month maybe two months. Uh, and then you're going to come down and you're going to be in the worst hell you've ever been in. And it's going to feel like this is reality from now on and it will not end. Bipolar two is more of just the second one. Wow. So it's, it's pretty rough. It's like living life under a heavy blanket at all times. Uh, the fun one uh, the thing that's really difficult about that is that when you go into a hypomania like that, it's destructive. It causes people to do all kinds of things that they wouldn't normally do because they feel so invincible and so high. I mean, if you think about it, if you've ever in your life gotten high or gotten drunk, you are probably having a good time. Mm-hmm but you are impaired <laughs> and your judgment is impaired. Uh, so now imagine having that filter over a completely sober reality. Hmm. You feel like everything is as it should be, but you could also be waking your kids up at three in the morning to go look at a boat because suddenly you had a really good idea that we're going to live in the water. Uh, you're going to run up your credit cards. You might have an affair. Uh, it, it, you might, uh, it, it, you might, uh, get in a fight with somebody. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that could possibly happen. So, I mean, at least for me, one of the things I had to learn when getting in touch with my own cycles and how that works is if I'm in a place where I'm getting that tingling feeling and feeling maybe a little too good about myself. I question just about everything and I put the credit cards away <laughs> because I know that I can't necessarily trust my own instincts. I have to second guess those things. And it sounds rough, but 
honestly, it's not a bad way to be to second guess things just a little. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be negative. It, it can just be self-reflective and just saying, you know, it, it, just in case this is natural or this is not natural, I'm going to go the route of being cautious and I'll enjoy this while it lasts. And if it gives me the energy to do something positive, constructively, um, you know, exercise or uh, getting some writing done, mm. uh, some, you know, learning a new skill, things mm. like that. As long as it's not something where I'm going to spend a lot of money mm. or, you know, put myself in a dangerous situation, you can find a positive in it and sort of use that energy for the betterment of yourself versus you know, the, the various negative things you could find yourself doing. Incredible. And you can, and there's nothing wrong with checking yourself at Christmas. We make a list and check it twice. Right. So, uh, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> when you see yourself coming into this, what are some of the signs that you, that you, that you notice that you're coming up or coming down? How can you, t is it a, is it a physical thing? Do you get warmer or cooler? Oh, like yeah. how, how can you tell? Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely physical. Um, one of the, yeah, you know what? It's, it's funny that you say that because, uh, the blood tends to pump a little faster. Wow. Uh, I sleep less hmm. once, once I, I find myself in situations where I'm having trouble sleeping, I, I generally start to wonder if a mania is going to come on. Uh, it's, it, you do start to get excited about things. A little more than you normally would. Uh, my curiosity spikes, uh, which again, it's a positive, right? Unless, right? Uh, so there are there are definitely some signs. Now, as far as the downturns go, I'm actually in a downturn right now, and I have been for uh, maybe about a month. And when I felt that coming on, one of the first things that happened was uh, I was having difficulty getting out of bed. Uh, I, I could feel that weight in my chest uh, just kind of pulling on me. I maintain a regimen of daily exercise because one of the things that's so necessary about my version of bipolar is maintaining a routine. Hmm. Uh, doctors haven't quite discovered why this is, but maintaining uh, a reliable routine for long periods of time actually increases the time between bipolar cycles. Wow. And so... I, I, that's, that's one of the reasons that I've been able to manage this for as long as I have, I think is because I, I established pretty quickly, not only am I going to monitor my, uh, my mental states, but I'm going to try to get everything in order that I can, which includes sleep, diet, exercise, and time outside in the sun because hmm. fresh air and sunshine makes a big difference. Mm. Exercise, always welcome. No matter what you're doing in your life, 
you have to get out and move around because it's going to help you no matter what you're doing. Diet. It's so important. It's so incredibly important. Uh, that's not saying you can't have a cheeseburger now and again, because that's also very important. It is for your health, <laughs> but you got to pay health. attention. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's good for your mental health to have a piece yeah. of cake, yeah. you know, but it's not good for your mental health to eat a cake. Right. <laughs> but all of these things matter so much. And so here I am now uh, in a downturn experiencing uh moments where i'm up but i mean even right now i'm i'm glad to be here with you thank you i can experience happiness during depression hmm. <laughs> but i'm heavier moving is harder uh getting around is harder uh i'm aware of all of the muscles in my body and they they all feel just a little weak. It's it's just rough. It's it's a tough thing to do and it would definitely be a lot harder if I wasn't aware of what was happening. Hmm. And kind of being aware that I'm in sort of a lower point right now. It it does make me behave a little bit differently. And you know, when the bright spots come out, I try to just sit in them for a minute and go Oh yeah, uh, the, I can breathe again, and this cycle will pass. The bummer about a depressive cycle is that, at its worst, it can be six to nine months. And it's—I uh, had one of those uh, a couple of years ago that that lasted just about a whole year, and it was one of the worst I've ever had in my life. And it caused me to go back on medicine for a couple of months to to get through. After being off medicine for seventeen years, uh, I wasn't I wasn't managing on my own. Uh, suddenly, all of the techniques that I had learned, all of my coping mechanisms, they weren't doing me any favors. And so I I said I I've got to talk to a doctor and see what's what because I'm kicking around under the hood and I don't know where these hoses go. I don't know what's happening here. And, and there it was. And the funny thing about that too, is that I was already doing my podcast at that point. I was already putting myself out there as this mental health warrior, as a person who understands that uh, uh, medication is sometimes necessary, sometimes permanently, most times temporarily. And yet I felt like I had a weakness in needing medicine again after 17 years. Isn't that the weirdest thing? Wow. Like Does that I feel like you're it, defeated? Do you feel defeated? Yeah, I I just felt so completely defeated. Like all of the work I had done was for nothing. Like it all meant nothing because I was in this moment now. And that's of course not true. It was a triumph that I went 17 years. It was astounding mm. that I went 17 years and that I learned all of this amazing stuff and that here I am now, having gone through all of that with all of this new emotional armor mm. and all of these new techniques that I'm able to get myself up and move around and do things and 
uh, continue on with all of those disciplines that I built, even when I don't feel like it, even when it feels impossible, I still get up, I still do it. And it, and it does help. It, it honestly does help. It, yeah. It's probably one of the best survival techniques there is, is creating a plan and sticking to it as best as you're able. I heard today's podcast, Chris, and you discuss your current, you know, state that you're in one of these down, you yeah. know, down, and it's 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 heart wrenching and it's it's wonderful for me, the listener. Uh, yeah. And I wondered, you know, you were just a couple minutes late today. I'm like, oh man, he's down. I don't. This is <laughs> maybe when he talks about it, it doesn't help. And I'm thinking, oh, I I hope that you know, I mean. You, your podcast, talking about it, having others learn about it. Does it help you? Will it, could it cause you to move out of it? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, it's one of the things that I found. So for, for a brief period of time for about five years or so, um, uh, I was in the stand-up comedy scene mm. in Denver, Colorado. And that was one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life was bombing hard on stage uh, because it it gave me the exhilaration of feeling like I had died <laughs> uh, and living through it. And it really taught me a lot of things. And one of the things that it, it really drove home for me was uh, the idea of being fearless is not necessarily true in the way that we discuss it. I don't think there's any such thing as fearless, but I do think there is such a thing as brave. And hmm. I think that one of the best things you can do for yourself is, uh, if you're afraid to speak a truth that will help you if you speak it is to face that fear and speak it. When I started doing this podcast in the first place, it was because I was looking for one that was going to do it the way I needed to hear it. And I wasn't finding one. And so I thought, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it the way I want to hear it. But if I'm going to have that contract with the listener, I I've, I've got to be honest. And if I really want this thing to do its job, I, I got to be willing to go there. Hmm. And if that's going to help somebody, and it has, I mean, uh, what choice do I have? Yeah, the the one today was hard. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I recorded that introduction yesterday, mm. and so this is fresh. Hmm. I was a little nervous about putting it out there, as a matter of fact, because that was my first take. Typically. I record my introduction four or five times mm. <laughs> before I get one that I like. Uh, and this one, I, I, I admit, I felt a little nervous putting it out there because it was pretty raw. Uh, I kind of almost broke down and yeah. I just transitioned to doing these things on video. And there I was, you know, wet eyes, unable to speak for a couple of minutes because immediately something just came over me that was just this dark, dark sadness. And I had to, I had to do the thing that I got to do in that moment. And that's just acknowledge it, sit with it, really feel it for what it is. And then recognize, okay, 
Now what? Who am I going to be now? Let's keep going. It's going to suck, but let's do it. Because eventually, it's not going to suck. <laughs> I got to get through all of this pile of suck. It's it's like exercise. It's like weight loss. Um, it's so hard. Like uh, uh, when I went through that depression and I started medication, I gained a whole lot of weight. <laughs> And then the pandemic hit and I gained a whole lot of weight. So I'm now down uh, about 40 pounds. Uh, I was down uh, about 50 pounds uh, and I'm back up because I'm sad. Mm. And, <laughs> and it's one of those things where I'm paying attention to that. Uh, I'm paying attention to that because I know that that's, you know, I already feel heavy uh, and being heavier is actually, for me, going to make all of the things I love to do harder for me to do, especially when I'm sad. It's, it's, uh, it's going to make my knees hurt more. It's going to make my ankles hurt more. I used mm. to be a skateboarder. My body from the waist down is garbage. <laughs> you know, just years and years of abuse. Hmm. So uh, my joints are not in the best place. I'm 45 years old. And, uh, so it's time to, time to pay attention to these things a little mm -hmm. bit more. So yeah, I got to pay attention to that stuff and I've got to be honest with people about where I'm at about these things because uh, otherwise, what am I even doing? It'll yeah, help I somebody. I guarantee it. It'll help somebody to see that and hear that. Absolutely. Yeah. It was quite vulnerable, uh, this morning. Uh, I, I, the famous artist, uh, Christina the Singer, all of a sudden her last name ex uh, escapes me. Christina, she sang the song Beautiful. Um, uh, Aguilera. Christina Aguilera sang the song Beautiful. And if you, that's her first take. You know, she wanted to do it again, but the producer said you'll never be as vulnerable as you were right then. So that song, it's, yeah. it's incredibly, uh, I know the Denver, uh, the Denver uh, comedy, we go to the club there. My girlfriend is in Denver in Stapleton. We go to the one in Northfield. Oh, nice. Is that the one you're talking about? The the Northfield, what's it called? Just for, I don't remember now. Uh, uh, the Comedy Works. The Comedy Works, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was that like, uh, being a stand-up comedian? I mean, you just, you've got a lot of great funny content. Christopher Walken, I mean, you've got, you're, you're a very <laughs> yeah. funny man. Um, do you still do that now? What made you try that? You acted too as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and in fact, I, I, it's, it's something that I'm kind of doing a little bit more of now that I'm in California. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of all over the place, but yeah. What made me want to do that? Well, one of the biggest things that made me want to do it is, uh, uh I was a drummer. So naturally I wanted to be funny. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I never drew that line. Is that, yeah, is that always no, been there? <laughs> every drummer wants to be a comedian. It's, it's very true. It's absolutely true. Especially Ooh. if you give us a microphone, it's all over. Interesting. And so Ringo Starr, hilarious, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, you know, and he is in a way, if you think yes. about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I had always been a stand-up comedy fan. I mm. grew up on stand-up comedy. I just loved it. I'd spent my time listening to comedy records. I just loved, loved comedy. And then as I was moving away from my little town in Michigan, I was moving to Denver and I was moving into this tiny little 600 foot apartment in the basement of a house. My address was actually 
a half <laughs> because I was in the lower half of a house and I had nowhere to put my drums. For the first time since I was nine years old, I was not going to be a drummer. And, and I didn't really know what to do with that. I can play other instruments, but they're not really my main thing. And so I thought, well, I'll try something else. I'm moving to a whole new state, a whole new city. I can reinvent myself and be anybody I want to be. Why don't I see if I can get into the comedy scene? Hmm. And so I went and I hit a bunch of open mics. And it was funny too, because uh, my my girlfriend at the time uh, was supportive. And she said, oh, uh, I'll help you get your first gig. Uh, and she booked me a slot at an open mic at an Irish pub, but it was a music open mic, hmm. not a comedy open mic. <laughs> and they gave me 20 minutes. Whoa. So for anybody who doesn't know anything about comedy, let me explain mm. everything that's wrong with all of that. Yes. For one, uh, when you start out in comedy, typically you want two to five minutes mm -hmm. tops because you're not good. <laughs> you want your best five minutes, your best two minutes. That's standard. Uh, for another thing, I don't know if you've ever been to a large restaurant where they have a band, but people are interested in their entrees yeah. and they're eating and then the band stops playing, they clap, they go back to their food. Right. But if someone has an announcement, it sounds like, can the person in the Ford Ford pick up the thing on the side of the... I mean, you can't hear anything. And then, so I'm up there trying to tell jokes. <laughs> and uh, I, I had 20 minutes. And I went through it in five. <laughs> and then some teenagers came in uh, because it was a restaurant. Right. Uh, some teenagers sat in the front row and I was being heckled so hard, but I also wanted to please these kids. Of course. And so they're, you know, they're the only ones paying attention. So I'm really trying hard and I'm sweating buckets. It was, it, it was, uh, the worst possible situation. And I get done with my 20 minutes and, uh, the sound guy takes the microphone back and he claps me on the shoulder and he says, Oh, buddy. <laughs> I go back to my girlfriend at the table and she says, do you want to get a drink? I said, I'd like to get out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A, we, yeah. yeah, we get out of there and it was, uh, and I just started laughing so hard that I fell down in the parking lot and she could not understand why I was laughing so hard when it was so awful. It was maybe the worst thing that's ever happened to me. It it felt, and I'm a person who tried to kill himself. Right. And this was worse. <laughs> it was it was really really something. Uh, but it also was the greatest thing ever, because now I saw how bad things could possibly mm. feel, mm. and how if I can live through that, right? Man, I can do anything. I can get up in front of strangers and bomb and live through it and hopefully get better. And I did get better. I, I, I got a lot better. I, I got to the point where uh, 
I, I entered a contest at the Comedy Works for uh, new comedians, and I did not win. But I did get uh, a very large applause break, hmm. uh, which they said was uh, was was pretty uncommon. It was you know I was supposed to go up there and do five minutes, and uh, I got at least thirty seconds of that eaten up by an applause break, wow. which was great. Because uh, it was a risky joke that uh, that was a long minute and a half with no I laughs for a punchline. Uh, I see. <laughs> that's a long walk to get there. Now, during yeah. that bombing, were you in one of your highs or lows? Uh, that was, I mean, it was, that was just a regular old period. I see. That was, I was not in a mania when I decided to do that. Boy, I, I wish, I wish I had been. Because uh, <laughs> I, I wonder if that that energy would have helped me right. at all. You know what, though the the decision to go into comedy probably came from a high. Uh, just like the decision to do this podcast, uh, the my my podcast came from a mania. I thought I could do that. Yeah, I'll get a microphone. I'll get some gear. I know how to record stuff. I'm a musician, right. so I know how to do the recording. I'm going to make something that sounds professional and polished and slick, and I'll write my own theme song, and I'll talk to people, and I, it's going to be the biggest thing in the world, you know, and it's fine. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. So during the transition from a low to a to what you call a mania, high mania, is that yeah. a day? Is that a week? Is it a minute? Like, what's that transition period like? Well, you know, it's funny, too, because sometimes uh, a mania can last uh, two months. Hmm. Uh, and sometimes it lasts a day. Um, there have been occasions where I'll be up pretty, pretty high for a couple hours and then just crash out of nowhere. Wow. But that's actually a lot more rare. Most of the time, I think I have sort of a low level sadness going, you know, to the point where, uh, it's like, imagine you're a person with, um, chronic back pain and you have just some level of back pain all day, every day to the point where you don't really notice that there's pain. And if someone mm -hmm. were to ask you, are you in pain? You'd say no. Because it's just always there. It's just part of existence. This is what this is what a person's back feels like. And then when it's gone, suddenly it's like, whoa, I was living with that? Mm. That's kind of how this is for me most of the time. There's there's like a low level right there. And it and I can access it. If I try to, mm. I can be aware of it if, if if I try to, but most of the time it doesn't really interfere with things for me. It's it's kind of just part of the deal. Like if I want to keep on, if I want to keep on moving, and if I want to keep on going, uh, it's just part of the deal. It's in there. Uh, maybe I'm just wired for it. And don't get me wrong, I, I think that it's good to try to look at your, your programming, look at your wiring, take a look at how you are as a human being and mm. 
you know, constantly be reevaluating yourself and seeing if the things that you're doing to care for yourself are still working. Because there's always something different you can do. I'm I'm in the middle of a different kind of mode right now, as a matter of fact, because the depression's gone up a little higher. Hmm. And so it's it's a matter of what are the things that I can do for myself uh, that are going to make this more manageable while it's happening. Because whether or not I have control over it is completely irrelevant to how I'm going to respond to it. It's really a matter of what do I have control over and, and what am I going to focus on? And I'm going to focus on the moments of positivity hmm. and the things I have control over. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you have choices for how you're going to respond to anything that comes across your path. You may not have control over getting in a car accident if somebody's car hits you. Right. But you can choose how you're going to respond in that moment. And that's not easy when something as traumatic as a car smashes into you. You know, you, it's not like you're going to sit there uh, and say, well, uh, that happened to me and I'm going to calm myself now with some breathing exercises. Mm -hmm. It's not quite that easy. Mm -hmm. But it is a thing you can do. And just because it just because it's not easy doesn't mean you can't do it. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. You had a great quote. You said managing something is not the same as dealing with it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. No, that's Big true. difference. Big difference. Big difference. And there are times when managing something is definitely not enough. Right. You got to be dealing with it. Um, if it's important, especially if it's detrimental, you want to make sure you're dealing with it. It's very important. But sometimes, if managing is all you can get, get through, mm. do that. It's better than nothing. And don't beat yourself up. Uh, because it, the, the most important thing you can do is stay alive and, uh, you know, live to fight another day. And that's, that's really the biggest key is you just got to stay in the game. And, and that's, that's where I'm at is I, I I'm, I'm in it. I, I want to be here as long as I possibly can. I want to make stuff. I want to I want to fail and learn and grow and change and just be the whatever the best version of this meat suit is. Hmm. I want to see if I can if I can get to some level of that uh, because it's it's not really about being the best 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 ultimate because there's no end goal. It's just about like, what is the best you can be right now? Uh, and then, you know, where did you get? Oh, that's interesting. I got to here. Hmm. I got to a place where I'm able to experience uh, this sadness and still have a laugh. That's cool. I wonder what I'll get next time. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's claw machine living. It's hmm. you put your quarter in and uh, what did you get? And you recognize it and you say, oh, uh, the, you know, this time I got a, a, 
a, a plush tape recorder. That's a weird thing. Huh. Well, let's put that on the shelf with the other stuff and uh, let's keep going. Let's see what we get tomorrow. Let's see what we get an hour from now. Mm-hmm. I mean, because uh, it's it, it's it's pretty fascinating if you if you allow yourself the curiosity, if you allow yourself uh, that the moments of, you know, it might not be okay right now. It might be terrible right now. Um, but even that, how interesting is that? What can I do with that? Uh, because everything, everything has value. Yeah. Yeah, certainly so. And you talk about, you know, being the best that you can and, um, you know, with you and when others, how is your son? Oh man. Uh, they are all very interesting. My kids, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So um, my son is 19, uh, and he is here in California right now. And it's the first time I've seen him in over two years right? because of the pandemic and everything. I missed his high school graduation. I missed his 18th birthday. <laughs> I mean, face to face, obviously. Um, I, uh, I, I sent him a card. You know, it was fun. No, I'm just kidding. I, of course I called him and everything. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, we're in touch. I texted we're, him. Yeah. 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 I sent him a text, you know, a smiley face emoji for sure. his birthday. What does he want? Uh, <laughs> no, I, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very close with my kids. Uh, you know, and they're, they're all, they're all various levels of, uh, you know, successful in managing their own issues and, and, mm. and whatnot. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, I, I've got, uh, so I've got uh, two children from my previous marriage, and then I inherited one through this marriage uh, that I'm in now. And uh, as it happens, right around the same time, uh, my wife's child and my oldest child, both at the same time, time right i mean within a a month or two of each other uh came out as trans Hmm. uh and it was kind of a big shock obviously uh but one of the one of the things that was so good about it was uh they were both having some pretty hardcore depression Mm. around hiding it. (laughs) And so now, uh, you know, my daughter, uh, so I have a son and two daughters now. Mm. Um, my, my daughter is the, the happiest she's ever been (laughs) the greatest version of herself that she's ever been after years and years of struggling, really struggling. And, you know, one of the, one of the things about that, that was a challenge for me was when my daughter first came to me to let me know, uh, uh, that she was, she, I wanted to be supportive. I mean, as a parent, you want to be supportive of your kids, you know, and everything. And it, I was like, it doesn't change anything. I still love you. How can I help you be the person that you need to be? And yet on the inside, I was feeling some grief 
And I didn't know how to place that. I didn't know what to do with that because I thought, you know, if I'm supportive of this, but I'm feeling grief, am I really being a good father? And I I was seeing a therapist at the time and I brought it up. I said, let me pick your brain about this. What's going on here? Um, And she said, you know, it's pretty normal because in a way it's, it's a change and human beings can sometimes treat change like death. And so, Hmm. you know, there's a way that you could be feeling like this is the death of your child, the death of the child that, uh, you know, the son that you thought you had, uh, it's, it's the end of all of those things, you know, the Hmm. name that was picked out and the, you know, all of the, all of the stuff, all of the things that you associated with this name, the love, the care, the concern, the memories, all of those things. And now uh, there's a new name, there's new pronouns, there's new, uh, there's, there's new things taking the place of these old things. And that can be a difficult transition. And then once I sort of understood it that way, um, everything got a little bit easier. Mm. But, you know, it's funny uh, to have a, a, a household with, um, uh, you know, just manic depressives and bipolar and, uh, and then also going through some, uh, trans issues in our household. And I mean, all of that, it's, it's been a real interesting household for me and my wife. (laughs) Well, there's a perfect example, Chris, you didn't just manage it. You dealt with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You've, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, even my parents, um, you know, my parents are are uh, very conservative people. They um, Midwest, you mentioned. Yeah, Midwestern. Yeah, they're they're Michigan folks. You know, I love my parents, and of course. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a weird, uh, you know, California lefty artist musician type. You know, but uh, you know, I mean, people are who they are. I mean, you meet them where they are, and try to accept people for who they are, not for who they're not. And, and so when my daughter told her grandparents, they were like, yeah, I don't get it, but we love you. Cool. Mm. (laughs) And that was, that was the end of it. I mean, it was, it was just like, it was just like, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I I can't always say that I'm going to understand it, uh, but we love you. And yeah, it's complicated. It's, it's complicated things. But, but here's the good news. She's healthy. Yes. And alive. That's and the not, great and, news. And not trying to commit suicide. Exactly. And, not, and not she's having happy. any of those things. Yeah. You said she's the best version of herself. What, what could yes. possibly be better? That's, that's best case scenario. You know, yeah. uh, the podcast generally is about discipline. Well, I say about, it's just one of the themes because I lost a yeah. lot of weight. People always ask me, how'd you lose the weight? And I always say discipline, you know, they want some magic bullet. Now you've brought up discipline more than once in the conversation about how you yeah, yeah. develop it. Talk to me about how you use discipline to deal with what you do and, or do what you have and, and help others. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, that's, that's actually one of the reasons I really love your show because uh, you've got Thanks. all of these great people talking about, uh, talking about discipline, which is near and dear to my heart. Mm. Because I was never a person with any discipline hmm. uh, growing up. 
it took me until into my 30s to develop any level of discipline. I have skated by and coasted on luck uh, for so long. Uh, and I've never had to worry about anything. I never had problems with, you know, weight gain or anything like that. I was a, I was a drummer in a rock and roll band. I was losing 10 pounds, you know, Mm. (laughs) every weekend. So I was fine. I, you know, I could, I was one of those guys that everybody just hated because I could eat an entire large pizza, you know, and you could see my ribs. (laughs) It it was just, that was my life until after my (laughs) thirties. Uh, and then a lot of things started happening. Uh, relationships started breaking down. My body started breaking down. Uh, you know, just about everything was sort of, uh, falling down around me because I had never put in any work to maintain it. And that included my own, my own health, my own mental health, even and stability. And it really required a whole lot of intention. And that was the word that I used to use hmm. was intention. Uh, it, it required a whole lot of intention to get me to a place where I could take care of myself, where I could get some things in order. And funny enough, it was it, it was honestly a... A, a kind of middling Stephen King novel hmm. that did it for me, and I got it from my dad around the time of my around the time of my divorce. Uh, and it, it, he was my dad was always sort of a sort of a quiet guy. He never talked much unless he had something to say, uh, and so he would do these real subtle things. So I'm going through this horrible divorce, and he hands me this book one day. And he says, I think you'll get a kick out of this. You Hmm. should read this. And that was it. That was the end of it. But I knew the way that he hesitated before he handed it to me. Oh, he's trying to make a point. Okay, Mm. I should read this. And it was the book called uh, Duma Key. Not a great book. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say this. There's Scooby-Doo ghost pirates at the end. It's not great. Yeah, it's not great. But. There's a really great thing in the beginning. And the thing that happens in the beginning of the book is there's a guy who lives his whole life. He gets up into his fifties. He's the, he owns a construction company. He's doing all these great things with his life. And then he uh, gets in an accident and he loses his dominant arm. And he becomes angry and uh, the loss turns into a big problem between him and his wife. They get a divorce. I think that was one of the important parts, but I don't Mm. think it was the only important part for why I got this book because he starts dealing with all of these things through physical therapy and the stuff he doesn't want to do, you know, learning to walk again from shattered hips and all that. And, And one of the things that this guy says to himself over and over again, like a mantra is, I can do this, especially when he feels like he can't. And I lasered in on that, Hmm. that small sentence in the book, I can do this. And I'm going to say it to myself, even when I think I can't, especially when I think I can't. 
And that became my everything. I thought, well, I feel like I'm completely out of control. I'm afraid of everything. I, I think I think I could use some of this in my life. I think I I think that I could definitely use someone to tell me, you can do this, and it should be me. And so I started exercising. Hmm. And because one of the things I had heard was if you exercise, you'll feel better. It's like an it's nature's antidepressant. Mm. So I started running, but I didn't know anything about running. So I was running in jeans and Chuck Taylors because <laughs> I had no idea. And, wow. and running sucked. I also didn't know that you don't have to go as fast as you possibly can until you can't breathe because that's what I was doing. I see. No one was teaching me how to run. I thought I'd like to be one of those people, but of course I'm not going to learn anything about it. <laughs> I'm just going to try to do it. And so that was my first foray. Just these are the clothes I have on and, and running is running, right? So I'm just going to run at full speed for as long as I can until I can't do it anymore. And then I'll catch my breath and I'll do it again. And I'll see if I can go, I don't know, what's a good distance? Five miles, 10 miles? <laughs> I, yeah, from from not having run at all. Uh, and so, of course, uh, I immediately overdid it, hurt myself because yeah. uh, I was doing it wrong. Um, and then eventually kind of learned a little bit, got, got the right shoes, you know, Wore, wore the right clothes. Oh, just lost my light. That's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> it's went it dark. Yeah. Yeah, I know that everything went dark. Oh, there it is. There, we're better. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I did all of those things. And, and that was when I discovered uh, this idea. I was kind of thinking as I was running, you know, military guys do this. And military guys can get through a lot of stuff. Hmm. So, there must be something to that. So I'm going to try waking up in the morning and doing push-ups, and see if that does anything for me. I was just grasping at straws. I didn't mm. know what I was doing. And, but that was what I started to do. I started to do push-ups in the morning and then trying to go for reasonable runs. And uh, I started paying attention to what I was eating. And all of this was just because I was really honestly afraid uh, that uh, I was honestly afraid I was going to kill myself. Hmm. So I, I, I got all the alcohol out of my house because I was like, you know, I don't need to pour sadness on top of the sadness mm. right now. It's, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, if I'm going to have alcohol, I need to be careful with it. Uh, so I need to do it when I'm celebrating, uh, not when I'm sad. So I'm going to not have any in the house. And that way, like if I do have it, it's going to be when I'm happy out with friends mm. and I'm going to try to create a separation there, uh, which turned out to be pretty smart. Uh, and I started creating these disciplines because I didn't know what else to do. Hmm. And I thought these things are all positives. And if I can focus on these things, while all of this other chaos is going on, uh, then, then certainly I can get something out of it. 
And that was where discipline started for me. It started physical. <laughs> and then I started to transition into mental discipline, learning to sit with ideas and feelings, um, learning to take the time to really explore things as they came in and feel them and really feel them honestly. Because when, when you don't, when you don't have that dialogue with yourself about your anger when it comes in and how you're going to manage that anger, um, you know, you, you can pop off, you can explode, you can get angry and shout and bark like a dog, you know, just mm. the moment you're provoked too much. Uh, and that's not good for you. It means that you've got some stuff that you're managing, but you're not dealing with. Mm. And so that becomes a thing. Like, uh, you really got to get to know yourself and know what your know what your personal triggers are as a human being. What's going to set me off to make me happy, sad, angry, uh, horny, excited? Like what are what makes me me? Mm. I, I need to know all of these things about myself. It's very important, especially if I'm going to be around other human beings or in charge of the well being of other human beings. I really got to know what this one I'm driving around does how it works and it requires a great level of discipline when things are hard and when there's criticisms to to be dealt with because criticism can be hard to hear if you're not willing to hear it it's it, it's a lot of work to go in and say uh i'm having a problem here i don't know something i'm not good at something i'm afraid of something those things are all very difficult to do for people. Um, they certainly were for me. And the physical discipline led to a mental discipline. And together, uh, they formed a routine that helped me stay alive. Hmm. Inspiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what should we... What should I... What should others know about bipolar 1 or 2... So we can help uh, identify or we can help those friends and people like yourself who may be up or down. What, what should we know and how can we help? That's a really good question um, it, because it can be difficult right. uh, in, in, in dealing with uh, uh, bipolar individuals. And overdiagnosed too. Somebody put, so somebody was just, dis oh, you must be bipolar or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, it's often um, misdiagnosed as ADHD. Right. Um, there's, there's a, a whole lot, there's a whole host of other issues. Um, but specifically when, when you're a person who's dealing with a bipolar person uh, on the other side of it, like if you've got a friend or a loved one or a coworker or something like that, um, I, I can definitely say I can relate to that from this end because my wife is a cold, hard logic scientist. Oh, wow. Uh, so Stock. when I, yeah, yeah, completely. And so, uh, you know, my silly self just all over the place, uh, <laughs> it's a compliment, but at the same time, if I'm in the middle of something, it took her a while to get to the place where she's like, well, why don't you just get over it? Mm. Why don't, why don't you just do something to make you feel better? You're sad go find some happy. Like, right. what's your problem? You want to hear a joke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it's it, it's definitely a weird thing. It's like uh, trying to, trying to get people to that place. I mean, mm. uh, what are some things that you can do as a person when when uh, you know somebody who's bipolar and you want to support them? Uh, really great question. I think one of the things you can do is, uh, first of all, don't freak out. Mm. Uh, that's that's a big one. And when someone tells you what their reality is, uh, believe them. That's that's not necessarily the same as believing that what they're saying is true, but believing that they feel what they're saying is true. Uh, so when someone says, yeah, I'm just feeling like this is never going to end. I believe that you feel that way. I I understand that you feel that way. It's not your job necessarily to fix someone's problems. If someone's having some issues, especially issues that you're not qualified to fix, mm. the best thing you can do is just empathize. Right. Just let them know that you're there, you're a good listener, you care, and whatever they need within reason. Because you're a human being with needs too. And mm. you can you can be burned out by someone who makes you their sole caregiver mm. when that is not your job. As a as a friend, you are not somebody's therapist. You're just not. They, and you're not going to be as effective as a therapist. You're a great person uh, to sympathize and empathize and commiserate with but you're not a therapist. And so when it gets to a point where somebody is in a place where uh, you're, they're beyond your help, don't try to help. Mm. Encourage them to get help. That's the best thing you can do. Be there for them in the way that makes the most sense. That's, that's the best thing you can do for anybody. Hmm. Perhaps we should not just manage it, but deal with it. Bingo. Absolutely. A absolute pleasure. Christopher Parker Howard, you're a musician, you're an actor, you're a comedian, you're an incredible podcaster. I love your podcast. I love the way you're honest, you're vulnerable, you leave it out there, and your mission of, you know, uh, of trying to be your best self for others. I mean, not only did you have, do you have this, you know, uh, this ailment, I, I don't know how else to, to phrase it, but yeah, yeah. you decide to turn it around and to help others. You take it to that extra step and that needs to be applauded. Uh, please tell everybody, how can we get to your podcast? You've got, you've just went to video. You've got two YouTube channels. You've got the yeah. podcast. How can we get there? Yes. <laughs> Uh, there are a lot of different places that you can find me. If you look for Coffee Over Suicide, you're going to find it. Uh, I am on every podcast app that you can get your earballs on. And you can also see me at uh, the Randomify channel on YouTube. That's where all of my craziness goes. That's where you're going to find music videos and and uh, comedy videos and and the podcast videos as well. But there is also now a separate Coffee Over Suicide YouTube channel that you can go to if you're just interested in the podcast stuff. I did just put out an album of music under the name Beast 4. Uh, and the, it's the the Robin EP. It just came out. It's really good. Very yes. proud of it. You should check yes, that out. And good. then, yeah, 
just check out the podcast. It's uh, it's probably the greatest thing I've I've ever birthed, other than my children. And the best darn Christopher Walken impression reading, uh, you know, where the wild things are ever. I, incredibly entertaining. Hey, thanks. <laughs> you know, it, it comes to me at times. I, I don't even know what he's going to say. It just comes out of my mouth, you know, sure. <laughs> An American treasure, Christopher Walken. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And you, I want to say one last thing is that you you have a Patreon page because it's yeah. hard to get sponsors because they don't like the word suicide in your title. Yes, absolutely. I've met with uh, so many sponsors and uh, even even a couple of uh, uh, a couple of places that were talking about me joining a podcast network and things yeah. like that. Uh, and the word suicide is always the killer. In every conversation, they're like, you know, have you thought about changing it to this, you know, coffee over bipolar or, you know, something like that. And, you know, it, it just, it kills everything. Uh, and so, yeah, I have a Patreon page. You can find me Patreon slash coffee over suicide. And just for a little bit of support, uh, you can really help this show get its legs and, uh, you know, keep the lights on as it were, as you've seen, I've had some problems keeping the lights on, How ironic. uh, all of it helps, all of it helps. And, uh, just like anything, if you help out for a couple of months, uh, you can get yourself a sweet, sweet mug. So, uh, yeah, I'd appreciate it. Very cool. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. Maybe one day we'll meet face to face and have a cup of coffee together. Joey, I would be honored. Thanks again. You be well. You too. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pins Discipline Conversations.